0: It's probably um, an injustice that I'm the one that was given the assignment for this message uh, because we have a, a staff member who really has an addiction to light. Um, and in fact, if you were to go home to his house and, and you were to ask him uh, to hand you a flashlight, he would, he would give you a choice of 35 or 40 flashlights to choose from. In fact, if you want to give him a Christmas gift, uh, you might think about giving him a flashlight because he he can't get enough flashlights. And I thought it would be fitting that 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 he would be here, but unfortunately, I got this assignment to talk about light. And and really, as I shared, you know, in the setup, it's um, the lights at Christmas are a real headache for me, but this year I found the secret. I mean, I I, I couldn't believe it. Um, I found it on YouTube. Imagine that. (laughs) Learning how to fix a strand of lights on YouTube. And the YouTube video pointed me toward a little tool I wonder how many of you have a Lightkeeper Pro. Oh, I see a hand over here, Lightkeeper Pro. Yeah, Larry, you got one? Okay. Lightkeeper Pro. I mean, what a brilliant idea. I mean, I could not believe it. It's like magic. I was fixing strands of lights like crazy. I was even asking my wife if we had any more boxed up in the attic that I could fix. Because obviously I have another problem. I like fixing things, you know, and it just makes me feel good because I can't do anything else but fix things, you know. And and when I find something I can fix, man, give me as much as I can because, you know, it just it just stokes my my flesh, <laughs> unfortunately. But that Lightkeeper Pro was like a, a a brilliant. It's like a a Swiss Army knife for Christmas lights. You know it measures the current, it pops the bulbs out it it strips the bulbs it it allows you to to uh, actually kind of do a soldering thing, sort of a magic deal. I don't know how it works, but you just click the trigger twenty times and lights come on and it's uh, amazing. You know the Christmas story is kind of like I know this sounds trivial, but kind of like a Light Keeper Pro, because there's, there's some, some truth, some, some hard, harsh and hard reality that comes at Christmas uh, in, in the uh, wrapper of a, a very tender, uh, loving, warm, inviting story. And, and that story is found several times in the Bible. Uh, there are four stories about Jesus' life, oftentimes referred to as the Gospels, the good news. Matthew, you know, Matthew was a, a Jew, and so he tells the, um, the story uh, from a, a, an extremely Jewish perspective. And so Matthew traces the lineage of Jesus all the way back through David and, and really tells it from this really heavy-duty Jewish perspective. And then there's Mark. Um, Mark was a Type A personality, uh, and I know that because the most used word in the book of Mark is "immediately." It's a it's a little Greek word, euthus. It's like, and Jesus went out and immediately, did this, and immediately did that. I mean, it's, it's all over. You just get sort of breathless reading the book of Mark because it's like sixteen chapters of nonstop Jesus action. Boom, you know. Um, and then John, um, John, uh, referred to by other apostles as a beloved apostle, um, he he seems maybe was was the oldest of of the apostles, and he tells this story that that I want to I want to camp in today. But Luke, the physician, obviously the the third story of Jesus's. Uh, in, in the series of these Gospels, Luke is a physician. And so you can expect, uh, as, as you would hope, your physician pays attention to detail. Luke pays attention to detail. And so in Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts, and so you get this boom, boom thing going on. You get this, the first historian of Jesus's followers... And so Luke and many of you uh, on Christmas morning might have a habit of pulling out a Bible. Uh, Hopefully, you don't have to dust it off, but you pull out a Bible and you read Luke two because that's where the traditional Christmas story is found. And it tells all the details about Mary and Joseph and Jesus, or Mary and Joseph traveling, you know, and the little donkey and that kind of stuff, and and getting, you know, to. Bethlehem and uh, having the stable out back, you know, that, that becomes the birthplace of Jesus. All those details are found in the book of Luke. But John tells a different story. John, it was like the, the oldest of the disciples possibly, and John was, was the philosopher. And so this morning, I want you to humor me uh, by traveling with me through what I'm going to call... The birth narrative of Jesus in the book of John. Now, you'll have to stretch your imagination a little bit to believe that that label, birth narrative, actually belongs on this. But it starts long before the birth. And it's the narrative that ties in very clearly Jesus being the light of the world. Uh, it starts with some real head-twisting stuff. It says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And so we've got this someone that's getting given a title called the Word, uh, and they were with God, and they were God. And it's really the one of, of the passages in the Bible that starts to lead us toward our understanding of the fact that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. This triunitarian God. Much to the dismay of those people that show up at your front door dressed in black pants and white shirts and black ties, I don't know why everybody that wants to be aberrant and wants to be sort of off kilter in terms of Christianity always has to wear black pants, white shirt, and a black tie. But it seems that way. And they want to argue about these verses. They want to argue. But this is pretty clear here that this person who's called the Word is also called God. He said, He was with God in the beginning, and also through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. So not only was He God, but this person, the Word, is called the Creator. So in Genesis 1, when you see in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, John is saying that was the Word. He says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all people. In him was life. And that life was the light to all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, you know, that's why we need flashlights. That's uh, why we use our phones as a flashlight now. Um, if, if you've ever had the unfortunate uh, moment, and, and anybody that volunteers here has been on staff here or anything like that, you, oftentimes we'd enter through this door over here. And when you enter that door over here and you enter into this room, You don't have wonderful people like Greg up there, you know, to turn the lights on. It's just pitch black. And unfortunately, these chairs are also pitch black. And if you're new to the scene here, and you're walking through this auditorium, and you don't have a landscape map in your mind, then you're probably wishing you would have grabbed your kid's shin guards before the trip because one of these chairs is gonna reach out and bite you and once you get the chair pattern down you learn that there are aisles and places to walk but then there's these crazy tables back in the corner over there and sometimes the people that sit in those things mess the order up and leave those chairs in the way and so you can find yourself on the floor holding onto one of those aluminum chairs because someone left it in your path and if that's not bad enough then if you try to get to the center door, because there's a pad for lights over there that can turn the lights on in this room, you try to get to the center door and you're not really sure where that supporting post is there. Sometimes you can headbutt a column of steel and it doesn't feel good. I mean, there's all kinds of things. In the dark, in the dark, things only bad really happen, you know? I mean, it's just like... And if you, if you talk to law enforcement, you know, it, it's, it's after the lights, the sun goes down at night. Um, or if you've ever been a parent, you know, you've probably told your kids nothing good happens after midnight. Nothing good happens after midnight. So if you're out there, don't expect good things to happen. You know, it, there's, there's just something about the darkness, but... This passage is suggesting that the light is the Word, the creator of the world, that darkness has not overcome him. But John goes on. He said, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is not the John writing this book. Uh, This is going to end up being John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. Uh, If you read in the birth narratives, you see that John's mother uh, and Mary were cousins, and, and so the opportunity for John to meet Jesus, sort of uh, pre-birth, is 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 written in the Bible. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might trust in that light. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And John was pretty clear about that. In fact, uh, one of the the greatest quotes uh, in these stories of Jesus' life that comes from John the Baptist is that he must increase and I must decrease. Because John came along announcing that the light's coming and, and people gravitated toward him. But he made people aware of the fact that he was not the deal the deal was coming he was only the announcer of the big deal coming he was the announcer of the light Our writer john goes back and he says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world it's the birth of jesus he was in the world it's the life of jesus And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. It's pretty clear, uh, and it's not just in our time, but all throughout history, that the idea of of Jesus being the creator God who came as the savior of the world to build his kingdom in this world and the world to come has not been the prevailing uh, truth that people have gravitated to. Never in the history of, of humanity has the idea of Christianity or, or following Jesus, genuine people who follow Jesus, been more than 33% of the global population, no matter how big the world has been. It's ne- never been more than 33% of the global population. In fact, today, there are over 2 billion people in this world who have never, ever heard the name of Jesus. 2 billion, Uh, 25% if we count 8 billion happening a couple of weeks ago, 25% of the world's population never even heard the name of Jesus. And so John is suggesting here, the writer John is is suggesting that Jesus came into this world and and even though everyone, all of those 8 billion people owe their existence to a creator, they've never heard of him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. You know, that, uh, I, I love this word receive because it's, it's like welcome. Um, I, I, I have a reputation in my neighborhood uh, of always buying stuff that kids are selling. I'm, I'm an easy mark for a kid at my door. And so they know that when they come to my door, there will be a welcoming person there. Now, I always have ca- don't always have cash. Sometimes I have to go on an archaeological dig to find a checkbook. And more and more of them are t- you know, accepting Venmo, Cash App, you know, all that good PayPal, all that kind of good stuff. But they know my door is a welcoming door because I'm an easy mark for a Girl Scout selling cookies or someone selling something that goes to Quick Trip, or something that I'll never use, I'll buy. And John is suggesting here that when Jesus comes into the world, by and large, even though he knocked on the door, there was no welcoming spirit there. Yet, John says... To all those who did welcome him, to those who began trusting in his name, he's the word, he's the creator, he's the light that gives the life. For all those who began to trust that what he says is true, John says he gave the privilege of being called his children. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will. But children born by God, by the will of God. That's the beauty of, of, of this Christmas story. The, the beauty of, of what's happening in our world as as we put Jesus in a manger and we gather people around him, and you know, we gather shepherds who were out in the you know watching their flocks at night, and they angels appeared, you know, and and you know I'm, I am dead honest sure that the Bible leaves out the fact that they crapped their britches when those angels showed up because you and I would too, right? You're out, and all of a sudden. And it's not just fireworks, it's, it's fireworks that look like people that talk. And, and they tell them where to go, and they get there. And then we have this beautiful story of, of those are the commoners, those, those are the, the, the low of the low in this story, right? They're the shepherds, that was, that was, those are the people that, that would have been the uneducated and all that kind of stuff. They were the first to hear because I think God knew that they would be the first to receive. They would be the ones that have been looking, hoping, and ready and willing to trust. But then we have these other three guys. You know, these, these, uh, the three wise men? Uh, sometimes we sing about them as a th- we three kings of Orient R. I mean, where is that country, Orient R.? But but these these were the the high level people. These were the wisest, smartest, most educated. And they start on a search for Jesus too. Just as a note, go home and take your wise men out of your manger scene. Put them across the room. They didn't make it to the manger, okay? I just want you to be theologically correct here. Get your wise men out of the manger but they started looking and they found Jesus when he was a little child. That shows up in the birth narrative as well. I love how John kind of ends his birth narrative. He says this, the word became flesh. So the creator of the universe the possessor of life, the light of the world, became flesh, took on human flesh, and made his dwelling among us. If you're a fan of Eugene Peterson's um, retelling of the Bible story called The Message, uh, he gave us this beautiful phraseology of this, that that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. He became a human. Now, <clears throat> that's a little hard to figure out, in a sense. Talk about this is someone outside of time and space, God who could speak and bring everything into existence. I mean, it's, it's a little like head-scratching to think that, that He humbles himself to become in the form of human, but he did it for a very distinct purpose. And this year, this time of year, is why we celebrate that, his coming. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And John says, we have seen the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You know, what's interesting to me is is John was a part of a a band of of men and women who early followed Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. He said, look, let, let me show you what I created life to be like. Let me give you the light of life. But not everyone did that. As you know, that the story moves forward 30 plus years. Uh, Jesus is not popular, neither with the religious people nor the political people. All the people that hold the power, Jesus is not popular with, and so they put him to death. Now, what's interesting about this idea of Jesus being the light of the world is the fact that the light possessed the life. The light possessed the life. And so this idea of what, is it, what do we do with, with the light to get to the life? It says, to those who received him. Now, what's fascinating for me in my life is I've gone through at least two phases, probably a lot more, um, but, but two phases of, of relating to that light. because I wanted to get the life. I knew the promises that Jesus had made, that that you might have life and might have it in ways that you can't even understand. I began to believe that God wanted more for me than I could ever have for myself. And it's like, how do I get that? And so I, I, I began to identify two paths in my life. There was one path that I think arose, maybe it's from my upbringing, maybe it's from me being a human, and and it just comes with all human beings, and I I tend to think it it comes from that because I see it in a lot of other people, and there was a path of pleasing God that arose in my life, That, that, that I was just going to start amassing things that I could do to please him. I was going to reorder my life in such a way that that I stopped doing things that I was doing and started doing other things. And I just reordered my life in a way that I could please him. And as I stayed on that path of trying to get to the light, trying to get to the life, trying to get to what Jesus had promised so that I could experience him as the light of the world, not just the light of the world, the light of my world. That path of pleasing kept getting steeper and steeper and steeper. And it's like, wow. um, There's certain dynamics happening there. Some was that that I I would learn the the new spiritual technologies of confession and repentance. I I would learn, okay, God, I say the same thing as you. I, I shouldn't have done that. Um, I'm I'm sorry I will change my direction and so I I, I learned that and what I found myself in is my life was sort of described as cul-de-sacs of problems. The same patterns would happen over and over and over in my life and I'd find myself just going in circles. I wasn't gaining an altitude, I was just going in circles because all the habits that I was trying to get rid of kept coming back and coming back. And I would make some headway and make some headway and then boom. I'd fall back, make some headway, boom. And and it just like it got frustrating. Until I discovered there might be another path. Another path to the life. And that was learning to trust the light. See, there's a path of pleasing God. There's another path that's radically different and sometimes not always seen by us is a path of trusting God. Trusting that what he says is true, acting as if what he says is true. Now, it's, it's not always easy for us to see that because our, our lives, if, if you and I were honest with one another, our lives are a series of light and dark, right? I mean, maybe I'm all alone here, but, but there are times when it seems like someone blacked out the lights in my life. and <laughs> It's like, holy smokes, Roy. If people knew how dark you were, they would run screaming from listening to you. You know, and so there's this there's this moment, and the lights come on and it's bright, and I feel the the warmth and the love and the and the life that comes through the life and then boom things black out the, it, 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 it's like that, and so when I'm over here on this pleasing God, my answer to it was to Turn the treadmill to 11. Do more pleasing. Just do more, do more, do more. Serve more, give more, read more. Just, just try harder. Try harder to not do those things. And I discovered that trying harder doesn't work. But trusting does starting with a base of saying, okay, Father, I'm going I'm, I'm to trust that what you say is true about everything. And I'm going to operate off of that kind of orientation. What you say about my mind, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, pure, lovely, whatever it is of good repute, let your mind think on these things. I'm going to think that's true. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to operate if that's true. And so I'm going to begin to use that as a filter and just trust that, that if I, I operate in that world, because I don't like operating in that world. I like some of those things that aren't true and aren't lovely and aren't right. And I kind of, you know, they're kind of fun. But I have to trust that this is, this is best for me. God has my best interest in mind. How do I? how do I deal with my body? The way I deal with my do I trust God? And how I deal with my, what I take into it, how I steward it. God gave it to me and when I hand it back over to him, is it going to be twice as much? That's the, I don't think God had that in mind. He, he had the idea in mind that you and I would take care of these vessels. He had in mind that we would sexually Listen to him. Understand what he says. And trust that that any kind of sexual activity outside of a committed, covenanted relationship, a marriage, was anti-Jesus. It was not the best for us. And I trust, I have to trust that, okay, God, I'm going to operate that that is true. Now, the the spiritual technology of confession and repentance work on both sides. But on one side, my mindset is first having an allegiance to the Father who's, I believe, what he says is true. And when that happens, we begin to discover how Jesus, the light of the world, leads to the life that we've always wanted. The, The life that Jesus promised when he said, You might have life and might have it abundant, full, meaningful, beyond what you could ask or think. You see, I think that's what happens when Jesus moves into the neighborhood. When Jesus moves into the neighborhood, our neighborhood, my neighborhood, and he's welcomed in. I get on that path of trusting. I get off that treadmill of trying to please God. And I begin to discover some of the richness of what John is talking about here when he says, right at the very beginning, he says, and that light was the life, was a life-giving spirit, a life-giving source that leads right back to the creator, the one who shaped us, the one who defined life, and the one who hopes for you and I more than we ever hope for ourselves. And it's the beauty of, of, of what's happening at this time of year when we think about the light not just being around us, but the light being in us. And and the opportunity to be infectious to a world that so desperately needs a touch of the Word, of the Creator, of the Savior, of the King, of someone who loves them far more than they'll ever understand. And someone who forgives them endlessly and effortlessly because of the death of His Son on the cross. See, this all ties together. And it's it's a moving picture of God wanting to send the light of the world to give us life, and that life causing us then to ignite as a light of the world to give life to where we live, learn, work, and play. You know, our... Our mission here is to make Jesus accessible. As I said earlier, two billion people don't know the name of Jesus, never heard the name of Jesus around the world. Now, that's probably not any of your neighbors. But I'm surprised. Uh, We have a little neighborhood thing going on um, and a bunch of kids coming in for an admit thing and a a small section of them come to our house and, and seeing how many of these little children don't know who Joseph and Mary are. Now, I think for some of us, we have the naive belief that that would be (laughs) un-American. The fact is, we live in a world that's so desperately in need of this story, so desperately in need of a path to the light, to the life that they have always wanted. And the problem is, is that for those of us who are followers of Jesus, sometimes we inadvertently hide our light. We're not, we're not as confident about the light because we're, we base our confidence on us. And I know, I get that. You know, it's like, hey, follow me like I follow Jesus. Right. I, 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 I get, I, I'm embarrassed at times about my own life. I get that. But the life that comes from the light is not dependent on me. Nor is it necessarily dependent on my credibility because oftentimes I look like a hypocrite. Out of one side of my mouth, I talk about Jesus. And on the other side of my mouth, I just act and love and live in the kingdom of Roy. Roy. But that shouldn't stop the opportunity to to let that light shine. To to let Jesus and the hope that He gives be the light of the world in your neighborhood or your workplace or your family. But it starts with you, You it, it starts with a welcoming spirit. When Jesus knocks at the door and he wants to to come in, it starts with us letting the light of the world take residence in our world. But let's face it, someone has a really nice bright flashlight and and, and when they shine it, the first thing that happens in the darkness is we start squinting because it's like our eyes can't adjust and it's painful, you know? That's the first thing that happens. And then when our eyes adjust, oftentimes we don't like what we see. Oh, whoa, 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 don't, don't get that up too close. I, you know. We, we don't like what we see. And so we tend to start stiff-arming Jesus a bit. Oh, can't go over here. I haven't got this room clean yet. Hang on. Hang on. Have a seat over here. This is, this is what I keep for family and friends and everybody, but can't go here. You know, we, we begin to have that kind of non-welcoming spirit. And it's painful. It's one of that spiritual technology of confession, and repentance. God gives it to us for the opportunity to say, look, Jesus, I know if I take you over here, it's going to be a painful time. If you turn the flashlight on in this room, what you're going to see is going to revulse you. And Jesus says, trust me. You just haven't read your Bible well enough to understand that I know a lot more than you do. In fact, I know you better than you know yourself. And in fact, when I went to that cross, I died for the ugliest, nastiest, dirtiest you that you can't even imagine. That's who I died for. I know what's in that room. And I want to go there with you. I want the light of the world to come on in the darkest spots in your life. And when that happens the life that Jesus promised starts to grow. And we began to discover what it's like to trust, to stay on the path of trust and get off the path of trying and and the, the idea of pleasing God. And let Jesus be the Savior. Let Jesus be the King. Let Jesus be the light of the world and give us the life that he promised. Would you pray with me? (laughs) Father, um, with all the tinsel on the tree, uh, all the ornaments, all the the manger scenes, all the stuff that, that we have in our life, all the... Um, presents we're buying and all the parties we've gone to or going to and all of the things that we're supposed to do and have to do and don't want to do but are going to do anyway, all of that that surrounds this time of year. There's something in us that longs to sort of figure out what it's like to catch the deep essence of Christmas. What would it be like to, to have a foothold on what we've always chased every year. Father, I pray that we might stop and realize that the beauty of Christmas is found not out there but in here. The beauty of Christmas is found in first of all figuring out what it means to trust that what you say is true, to be welcoming to Jesus in our world to let him turn the light on in our lives and give him free reign so that life might take root and that life might overwhelm us and we would feel the great sense, the great pleasure of what it's like to be a son and a daughter of the most high God of the universe. Father, may that be the gift that we have this Christmas. That gift of the pleasure that you long for us to live in. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.